the things my family did I am not the voices in my head I am not the pieces of the brokenness inside I am light Greetings everyone, this is Azmira and you're listening to Break the Boxes Stories. I am so honored today to be joined by Nana Akosua. Nana Akosua is someone who I had the privilege of meeting at the very beginning of this year, January of 2021, while I was working at the Tufts University Chaplaincy in their Africana Spirituality Chaplain role. Nana Akosua is a mother. She practices the Akan tradition from Ghana, where she serves as a Komfu and Akan priestess since 2006. She graduated her training over 14 years ago and facilitates a women's rights of passage program, Ohemaku, which means Queen Society, in the DC area, among other African spiritual-based ceremonies and rituals. Her passion is the intersection of human rights, racial justice, and spirituality. After graduating with a BA in History and African American Studies from Middle Tennessee State University, she moved to Washington, D.C. to pursue her training as an Akonfu, Akon priestess. She studied for seven years under the tutelage of Nana Ankobiahene Ama Oparabea Bekoi, I hope I said that correctly, Chief Priestess of Circle of Light of Society in Washington, D.C. In 2007, Akonfu Akosua graduated to serve as an Akonfu, Akon priestess, in the Akom tradition, origin in Ghana, West Africa, and, or, and ordained reverend. As an avid learner, in 2015, she continued her studies and graduated from Inner Vision Institute for Spiritual Development's Personal Development Program. Akomfu Akosua currently serves as co-director for Ohemaku, Tui language for Ghana, Queen Society. This is a 10-month women's rites of passage program in the Washington, D.C. area, composed of 21 participants, ages 20 to 65. She dedicates her life to working as an advocate for racial justice through a spiritual and human rights lens. She has a master's in public policy from George Mason University's Scholar School of Public Policy. She presently works as a senior management consultant in the federal government. She worked for over 10 years with organizations such as the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation, Global Rights, the 2008 Obama Presidential Campaign, the United States Department of Justice, the, the United States Department of State and United States Agency of International Development to strengthen their work, impact and effectiveness through public policy, coalition building, event planning, strategic planning, organizational development and research. She is a healer, a mother, sister, granddaughter, daughter, goddaughter, teacher, warrior, and Reiki level one healer. She constantly gives herself permission to experience joy and reminds others to do the same. Welcome, Anna Kosua, and thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for the beautiful introduction. <laughs> You're beautiful. so welcome. Thank you for I like her for the, <laughs> for the work you offer up to the world. Um, you know, as I was listening to your introduction, even I thought about I don't think I've I've ever asked you where where your spiritual um, your spiritual path really opened up. So you, you talked about in your intro, you know, being a reverend and being ordained um, in 2006, I believe. Can you talk a little bit about why, why a spiritual path? You know, mm -hmm. um, you're connected to so many different spheres and sectors, right? Public policy and strategic planning and all of these different really important things um, that help our society move forward. So why a spiritual um, well, let me take a step back for a second and say thank you, 
<laughs> Love you, Esmeralda. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. So grateful. And my godmother's name is Nana Ancobia Henny Operabia Bequeen. So Bequeen. it looks like yeah, it looks like a Biko. It's Bequeen, the K-O-E. Okay. Okay. Thank you for Bequeen. that. <laughs> yeah, it took a while. I had to practice it. Bequeen. Bequeen. And so mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people want to call her Biko. No. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for the yes. yes. Biko, right? So that's the difference. I think I was um, yeah, I was 18, a freshman in college, and I took a course, African American Studies course, hmm. and fell in love with all the information and knowledge that the instructor was imparting to us. Hmm. And the instructor was training to become an Ifa priest. And he kept his spiritual tradition, um, and he did his best to keep it <laughs> separated from the classroom setting. Yeah, something about him was so magnetic for me, and I constantly would ask him questions and love studying with him. And eventually he opened up and shared more of the Ifa tradition with me and exposed me to the Ifa tradition through books and then eventually introducing me to the temple that he was a part of. And this mm-hmm. is all in... Murfreesboro, Tennessee, right? Small town Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And then there was an Ifa community in Nashville. And so it was college. And I think always, I mean, college is the one that really opened the doors. Um, Mm -hmm. Yet even in high school, I was in the NAACP and I remember going to the conference, I think it was in Alabama at the time. And I was introduced to Juwanza Kanjufu. You've heard Mm -hmm. of him out of Mm -hmm. Chicago. And so his work about black boys and education for black boys in the system and always loving that. And so when what was missing was a spiritual piece, though. And that was where that introduction came through my professor. And I give honor and homage to Dr. Ajani Bakari mm. <laughs> at Middle Tennessee State University, who introduced me to Ifa. And so when I was exploring the Ifa path and went through the initiation process with them, and I went as far as getting my warriors with their community. Right. The first step, you get your elekes, and then you can get your warriors. That was how they did it. I don't know if that's the process or not. Traditionally, that was what was my experience. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was, I, I enjoyed it, yet something was still missing. And it Mm. wasn't until I met, I went to a conference in Russ College, Mississippi, because I'm from the South, I'm from Tennessee. Mm. So I went to a conference at Russ College in Mississippi, and I met a sister who was training to be in Kung Fu. And Mm. to see how everything was divinely orchestrated, and I was just being obedient, and I loved her. I'd rather stay at her side through the whole conference rather than attend any of the plenary workshops. Mm. And she gave me a reading there, um, and I can't remember actually what she even said. I really don't remember what she said. <laughs> I just remember I loved her presence and mm. we stayed in contact. And that was how I was introduced to the Ecom community through her at Russ College, Mississippi. And it was the African-American Student Leadership Conference. I was 19. Wow. Okay. Wow. So you've been on this journey for, for, for quite some time. And it was, it was something about the warmth of, of her presence, you said that you mm-hmm. just didn't want to, to leave the conference. You were there for the conference, but really <laughs> you didn't, what you didn't know was you were there to, to meet her and to, to cross paths. Right. Hmm. Hmm. And can you talk about how you have seen that relationship, your spiritual path unfold? You said that you were just being obedient, um, you know, and for, for you know, students who I'll speak with sometimes, Um, you know, they'll share how they don't really feel like, you know, they're curious about spirituality and spiritual life. Um, One student even shared that they have a devotional, but they still don't consider themselves really spiritual and not really understanding what it means to, to, um, to obey. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by you were being obedient um, in your, in your walk? So I can't say I was obedient in the beginning. It was just divinely orchestrated that was where and maybe that is obedience in that sense because I was extremely open and I was reading as much information as I could find about God and I remember reading Chancellor Williams destruction of black civilization 
Walter Rodney, how you're going to develop Africa. And, um, oh, help me out. France Fanon. Yes. Wretched of the Wretched Earth. Wretched of the Earth. Woo! Mm -hmm. That book changed things for me when I <laughs> read it coming back from Palestine. Mm -hmm. And Odu Ifa and other, and Queen Afua and introduced to Queen Afua as well. Hmm. And so I was so thirsty. I mean, like it was feeding me on whole other levels. And so, um, and I remember just trying to find a way to access God, if that's a good way to characterize it. Something was, was deeply missing. Mm. Um, and so, because I was so open and I think also just divinely, and, and I learned in hindsight that this is my spiritual path. That's one of the reasons why the doors were open because this is my calling. That's why true. I made the covenant with Inyami and God before I was born to follow this path. And so that mm. was me pursuing my life purpose. And that was another reason why everything was in alignment. Mm. And I'm getting to your question about Obey as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so when I met my, I went to a conference in retreat, spiritual retreat in Florida. Mm. And that was where I met, because Yakan, she was in training. So the title is a Kung Fu Wa. Oh, so okay. she was in training. And I went to her retreat and I met my godmother and I can't recall what she, what, I'm like, what did she say to me? <laughs> Cause I was crying the whole time. I cried the whole retreat. Oh, it was, it wow. was, and it was my that's how, Yeah. That's how, that's how powerful it was. That's how overwhelming, over, overwhelmed with the spirit. And cleansing. It was a purification. It was a cleansing process for me hmm. being disconnected from my spiritual path for what, two, 300 years, right? As a person of African descent living in America. So really returning home it was my soul that wow. was or that was connecting and, and moving everything forward and so and i say obey like um so then a couple of weeks things maybe a couple of years later it seems to have progressed so quickly in hindsight so a couple of years later um i did a retreat in tennessee and i invited the akon community to come and this is in nashville and we akon well, a kung fu means one who possesses, one who possesses power. Mm -hmm. So when we possess that power, is the power of the bassoon. And there's a physical manifestation of the spirit on the vessel, on the kung fu. And mm -hmm. so the spirit that came through on the priest was not an AC. And mm -hmm. I think she told me to go into training. <laughs> mm -hmm. say, I think because I was, I was crying again, right? So I can't say my ears are all that open. And that was the obedience there when she said, go into training. And I was in Tennessee. The mm. community was in D.C. And I didn't care how I was going to get to D.C. I quit my job. I applied for graduate school at George Mason. And everything just happened so quickly. And then I was in a U-Haul truck. And my sister offered to support me to mm. move everything to D.C. and live with her and share the apartment. So that's part of the obedience. And how when I received mm. that calling, then the doors opened. Mm. And mm. I knew it. It was the alignment, the integrity that I was in mentally, mm. emotionally, spiritually, and physically, that mm. integrity. And that's what I would say is part mm. of obedience. Mm. Wow. Wow. Thank you for that. The alignment, the integrity, and the just the, the, it sounds like the ease with which the path was open to you made it evident and apparent and clear, plain as day, that this is the next step. That yes. When, when there is confusion or there is an emptiness, you said, I heard you say, something was missing and you didn't know what it was, but once you were in the presence of, of what your soul was needing, it was so, it was so, um, how do you say, it was so filling that it was, it was cleansing. I heard the word purify. Um, and when I think about, you know, on, in this particular segment, the spirit and the hope is that Whoever may be listening, wherever they are, um, they may walk away with some form of upliftment for them, for them in their journey, mm -hmm. encouragement, um, inspiration to just keep going and to keep keep growing and letting letting the the, the growth edges come and then the, the the glowing. Let yourself glow when you glow because there are things that you are blessed to do that are simply the gifts that have been given to you. Um, but often that comes with such attention internally, externally, right? Like um, historically, like all these different tensions that can feel like these 
you know, these, these boxes um, that we're trying to break out of. And I'm curious for you if there have been times or how you would characterize um, your faith walk uh, facilitating moving through those boxes or, or breaking them or letting them shed or, or um, disintegrate such that you might elevate, you might step into a deeper level and layer of who you are and your calling here. Now, let's be clear, because there are levels of obedience, right? There are levels of, of everything as human beings. And I think about, I wanted to just circle back to that question again. I mean, because once I went in, I mean, hmm, the levels of obedience. I think about when I was doing a Young Van Zandt's program, and when we met for class weekend, it was Friday through Sunday. So, and all day Saturday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. We were in class. Oh, wow. Yes, very intense. We have a class, so she taught us a lot about the spiritual laws and spiritual principles, mm. in particular this, the spiritual principle of obedience. Mm. We had an entire class all day just talking about obedience. Mm. I mean, look at Dr. King. That was obedience. Malcolm X. That was obedience. Yasantawa, that was obedience. And so sometimes the obedience path is can be wrought with so much danger, is what I'm saying. Mm. And sometimes it could be, and it's different for all of us, whatever our path is. Just obedience really is a lesson in itself and could be a lifetime. <laughs> That's what it takes to get that, to go mm. past that classroom. And so that makes me think about the process of going into training, which was the obedience. And I always have a choice. We always have choice, right? Mm -hmm. And if I chose not to do that, my cause and effects or the effect probably would have been, I probably would have been labeled clinically depressed, probably would have been bipolar. I'm mm -hmm. standing in full transparency and authenticity That's right true. now That's because true. that is what, what my spirit needed to, to, to thrive, not just That's survive, true. to thrive. And in training, there's just different levels of obedience. I can't share all the things that we do out of respect for our culture. Yeah, I can share, like, for instance, when we go into training, the level of humility that mm -hmm. I have to possess, I have to sit on the floor. There's a hierarchy in our culture. So you have to, mm -hmm. I never sit at the same level as my godmother. And even now I'm a graduate, I still don't sit on the same level as her. Mm -hmm. And there are people who are younger than me and they sit below me. And so when I was in training, I was at the bottom of the totem pole. I sat on the floor for the entire three and a half years. And then when I graduated, I actually had to stay at the main shrine for seven. Traditionally, it's seven years, and it was truncated when it came to the U.S. Yet it still is different for everybody. Um, that was my experience. So I had to learn again how to sit on a chair. It was just like had to reprogram myself. Okay, I can sit on the same level as everybody. And so the humility, in the, which was necessary to be obedient, and the obedience was about humility and surrendering to Inyami, to God and the basum, abasum. Mm. And then having to eat with my hands, I couldn't use utensils because traditionally we don't have silverware. You know, that's a European concept. So in Ghana, you eat with your hands and I had to eat out the same bowl mm. for that entire three years of training and talking about obedience. I remember I had to go to my father booked a trip for us family vacation in Cancun. And I said, daddy, I don't want to go because I can't eat anything. I couldn't eat any outside mm. food. Wow. In addition to that, I had to eat in my bowl and I'm like in this nice, you know, I'm in Cancun. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't want to go. And he had to, and I had to tell him, this is what I have to do, daddy. And it was New Year's. I couldn't drink. I'm sitting eating salad and fruit. Obedience. There are levels of obedience. So mm. when, mm. and there's always a choice. And I just say that I don't say obedience lightly at all. The right. clarity that you have or that I had, let me own it for myself, was just that because it was, a, I chose my life. That's the state that I was in. That's true. The, the. Thank you so that, that is breaking out the boxes. <laughs> That's no. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, right. if we were to, hmm, right? Because there's, I mean, there's boxes that are physical. There's boxes that are spiritual, right? There are boxes that are, I mean, emotional. I mean, political. I mean, all the, they're constructions, right? <laughs> there are these constructions, these things that limit us, whether it's internal or external. And it's often not 
it's not um, mutually exclusive, right? It's not like, oh, we're just holding ourselves back for no good old reason. That's informed by the structures and the conditions that we're, that we're placed in or the, the resources that we do or don't have, which is by design. Um, the access to the information that we do or don't have about our lineages, about who we are, about the people who came before us to know and to have a sense of purpose and a sense of vision. So thank you for invoking that clarity and, and for your vulnerability, truthfully. I mean, when, when we talk about, you know, cultivating a spiritual resolve and mental health and well-being. That's not just fluff words or trendy words or hashtags. It's what does it mean to hold on to your sanity in a world that could care less, that will discard of your life so quickly, your, the lives that have bodies that look like yours and, 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 and so on and so forth, to really cultivate and hold on to your sanity. And, and, and what I'm hearing is that the discipline, but also the, is there really a choice but to break the box when it's, it's, it's this or it's, <laughs> it's all these yes. other things that Western, right, like sort of categories will be placed on. You know, it makes me think of, um, I'm going to forget how to pronounce the word, but I remember in, when I was in college, I was in this cultural psychology class, and I found it so wild that they deemed runaway slaves, they gave a clinical term. For, for runaway slaves, terming, saying that they had some disease. They gave some, some wild term to say, oh, they're X, Y, Z, a because they've read, like, like they ran away, so they must be ill in the mind, as opposed to they must be healthy enough to know that enslavement and bondage is not what they were born for. You know, so just to mm -hmm. highlight some of the, insid the insidious ways that science has been used against black and brown bodies for eons, right, that we already know, but to, to, to really, to take, you know, that, that, that vulnerability and that transparency and that principle of breaking out of a box, I mean, <laughs> it's like, is there a choice but to, by, by living, by existing, by choosing my sanity, that's my soul was missing something. It's not just, oh, I was missing, you know, my favorite coconut juice that I usually drink on Wednesdays, right? It's like, it's not like, oh, it's not on that register. It's, <laughs> it's layers and layers and levels and levels to, to, to what it means to really truly feel like for me to go on there. I know there must be something more. And even still, sometimes I think, <sighs> trying to be politically correct. <laughs> I was and you know, please correct me if I'm wrong. I was just reflecting about the LGBTQ community and how the the trauma and the experiences that they are to be themselves, to stand in your authenticity and showing up as who you are. Um, and admiring that and admiring that deeply and then I was thinking about African spirituality and how we still have to hide. Let me own it for me. I still feel like I have to hide and live this very compartmentalized life. Hmm. Hmm. How do I show up and say, I practice the Akom tradition. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not going to church. And mm -hmm. then, you know, still breaking that barrier, even today, the stigma mm -hmm. and the misconception of African spirituality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where is our movement? And I guess that's just me, you know, that let me be, let me stand up. And so we can really and be ourselves. And that's, we've been doing rituals. This is our season. Um, traditionally, Ghana, the new year is at the end of October, which coincides with Halloween is quite, you know, interesting. Mm -hmm. And we honor our ancestors and the community does a lot of purifications and we do work for the Abbasum, for the deities. Mm -hmm. um, and so working in this Western world and then being in African America. And so like, okay, where's my holiday? Can I get a holiday? Cause this is our new year Hello. <laughs> and I'm sure with the Hindu community and others. Yet mm. still, I was just unpacking that of how, where is African spirituality in the mainstream and how we still have to yeah. fight those misconceptions and misperceptions and so forth and so forth. So Absolutely. breaking that barrier is still, is still present. One hundred percent. I mean, when maybe, I was in, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be a comparison against anybody. It just is what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was just how I was framing it as I was reflecting. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. You know, it reminds me of why, um, you know, why it was so 
unique for there to be an Africana spirituality, chaplaincy. <laughs> I mean, even the word chaplaincy, like chaplain is very like Christian and Western, but why, why is it that that was like the only, the only one really that I have known of in, in North America, in North American higher institutions, higher education institutions, um, when we know that we're not capturing the, the breadth and the depth of the religious and philosophical communities across traditions, right? There are very specific ones that get prioritized. And again, that's by design and it's a post-colonial remnant of what it meant to, to create this nation state, you know, with, the, with all of the colonizing um, sort of agendas that came with it and the way that religion was used as that, you know, an oppressor's tool. Um, so, I thank you for, for lifting that up. Um, it's, it'd be an interesting study to, to, to read up on or just to, to know more, more about, you know, my dear friends who I know who, who are initiated and who practice Ifa even, mm -hmm. you know, one of my, my dear sisters, I'll invoke her name, um, Eileen itself meant uh, uh, Mina. I always say uh, Mena, but it's Mina. She, um, she practices Ifa and she is openly, um, you know, leading with her her visual art as a reflection of her spiritual and like creative practice um and she's afro dominica uh, dominicana and 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 to see and to hear and to learn about what she's had to go through just to push back against the just folks ignorantly demonizing a craft or a tradition because we know that it's so present and pervasive in our pop culture i mean I don't know if I can tell you or point to one space where there is outside of what um, uh, Iyafun Layo is doing with um, the Asheire community, outside of like that movement and that work, it's really hard for me to think on one hand about where, where that is, you know? Um, and we know that one group's oppression equals really all groups oppression because right. our liberation is so interconnected and it's so intertwined. Um, I don't want to get us completely off or take us. I mean, we go, we go wherever we go. <laughs> so we're not really getting off anything. We're, we're just continuing on. Um, can you talk about, you know, in your description, you, you name that you are a daughter, a goddaughter, a granddaughter, and a mother. What does, what does being a mother mean to you in your, as, as you move and you lead you know, with your spiritual practice. What was that like? This is coming from a daughter herself who <laughs> I just I just became an aunt. I have a nephew, but you know, I am I'm young in the in the uh, I don't know the rites of passage, right? So <laughs> curious. Yes, I think um well, I appreciate what you were sharing earlier and just wanted to acknowledge that as well. And um, thank you for hearing me as I'm thinking out loud. I appreciate that and being in this space. I remember um, one of the things when um, my son, has, he has a host a title of Nana because he's born to a Nana. And that's anybody in Ghana, a chief, their children are Nana, a Kung Fu's, they hold that title of Nana. Mm. And me being an African in America, not raising a culture, embracing the culture in my mid twenties, mm -hmm. not really experiencing and having that experience of children raised in the tradition inside of America. And so still learning what that looks like, sounds like, feels like is mm. <laughs> for me as a mother. And I, I use it, I mean, I, I make it intertwined and try again, not compartmentalizing my life, the integration piece. Right. So I remember when my son was born, he was born, what do they call it when the baby has the, um, they're born in the. Like with their head. Uh, no, the, um, the placenta. Isn't that, oh, what is it that breaks? Your water breaks? So you think oh. I would know the mom, right? <laughs> that, I don't remember what that I was called. I should know. <laughs> called in the call or something? I think that's what baby's born. Anyway, he was born with that in the call. I think that's what it's called. And so I was told that that means like he's got some spiritual and special powers that being born. And he was born at 1.33 p.m. on a Sunday, too. Ooh. So just all these different, you know. 33, the double Yeah. Yeah. Number. All these really different spiritual snippets. Can events happen when he was born, 
And so really nervous. <laughs> I'm like, who did I just give birth to? Please. <laughs> like me. I get to keep him. Mm-hmm. And so as he gets older and I am teaching him more about your tradition and and he has a choice. I mean, I pray, hope, intended to be so that he embraces the culture because this is part of our path, knowing also at the same time he has a choice. So examining around me other priests whose children have been born in tradition and how they have handled it. And, and it's different for every single one of us. And so I think he has taught me a lot about patience every single day of my life, every minute. <laughs> he is teaching me patience. And he's really teaching me, I would, you know, I, it's really interesting. Like I do a good job of standing up for other people. Like if I see injustice, I'm getting ready to fight though, you know, Mm -hmm. fight for you. And he's teaching me how to stand up for myself. So there was an incident that happened last week and someone spoke to him in an unkind manner and I didn't address it. Let me own it. I didn't. Yet I sat with that on my spirit for quite some time, Mm. prayed over it. And realizing that, why didn't you speak up for your son? Hmm. Um, why didn't you? For, so he's teaching me even now hmm. how to stand up again for myself because I'm standing up for him. And to do it in a respectful way because in our culture, there's just such a, such, a, such a delicate way in respecting the elders. And so hmm. having to find my voice, he's teaching me how to find my voice. Hmm. And he has given me so much purpose. I'm hmm. giving me so much purpose. I had trained and graduated as an Okonfo before he was born. Mm. And I thought when I had graduated, I would be walking on water, turning water into wine. I really thought I was going to be Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm an Okonfo, right? That's something powerful. That means something. And that didn't happen. I just sat and like, what's my, what do you want me to do with this? And I sat with that for quite some time before uh, after I had graduated, it was, I was like, okay, that was just the first step. Now I get to really apply what I learned and building that self-confidence, that self-trust and self-worth, hmm. self-worth. And when he was born, it wasn't about me anymore. It was about him. And he redirected my purpose. It was, and it's continuing. He continues to redirect my purpose and help me to be a better Okonfo, a better woman, a better human being, a better sister, a better hmm. wife. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. That is so, so beautiful and so precious just to hear, you know, um, I think a lot of times we just assume like, of course, you know, our, our parents think kind things of us and, you know, they love us and they, you know, like like um, they're just enchanted with who we are but you know I, I'll go back to words of affirmation and hearing you know what your son is teaching you the patience and the redirection of your purpose and the constant like why am aren't I advocating for myself and for and for him because I see how it affects him when someone speaks unkindly to him. Keeps me sensitive to matters of the spirit and matters of the heart, as opposed to desensitize in a world where there's so much happening and it can be easy to turn off. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think, well, maybe I shouldn't say fortunately, let me not judge it. Um, I didn't realize how, I'm, I'm realizing how the inner critic is so mean to me. I could be so mean to myself. And I'm sure there's a story for many of us. Who and so say when I, that? Come on. <laughs> Ooh, that inner child who learned from the parents to speak negatively to self, who just recreated that negative self-talk. And it's like, ooh, unlearning that. Let me speak kindly to myself and forgive my parents for not knowing how to speak kindly to me because they were just recreating the same self-talk that their parents passed and the legacy of slavery. Take it to the root. Ooh. The root. <laughs> the root. Ooh, I got goosebumps. So after that happened, and my son, his feelings were deeply hurt. And I was, I heard the negative self-talking, criticizing myself of just Aww. having to affirm myself so I can show up better as a mother and for myself. 
That hits home, you know. Um, but I don't think that I've thought of the legacy of slavery as the root as often as it may warrant being thought of, you know. I think when we're healing or when I'm healing, I can own my own journey as I'm just beginning to feel comfortable being honest with myself and sharing it, right? The healing, the healing journey, it's been, it's been happening in the journals, but now I'm like, <laughs> oh God, could there have, could there be a reason beyond, I know I'm not the only one that's feeling the things that I'm feeling. I know that for a fact. And I know a lot of us are suffering in silence. Um, and so I think it's common to, in my journey to, to blame my parents. I think that's, that's not unique. Um, but when I think about the legacy of slavery, when I think about my father and his mom and her dad here, you know, in, 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 in Pennsylvania, growing up in like before, like in the late 1800s, <laughs> you know, just, just the remnants of that and that negative self-talk and that, oh, you ain't worth X, Y, Z and, you know, just all the things. And it's like, wow, that was never stopped. That just continued until the cycle breaker says, hey, we're going to stop it, you know? And I remember living and studying in, in, in Palestine. And one of um, my colleagues said, you know, cycle breakers tend to find each other. And I said, "Woo, that's, that's wild. Because she was talking her story. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Where are my breakers at? <laughs> breakers. That's what I'm going to call folks <laughs> on <laughs> breakers different <laughs> up and remix it we don't do the, the break dance but we, we could break it down and we could break <laughs> the cycle you know and so you know you you hitting at the root the legacy of slavery if no one stops that negative like demeaning degrading um you know dehumanizing dehumanizing inferiority complex that's passed down then it doesn't get stopped and so to really love ourselves to, to love our hair, to love our skin, to, to love ourselves is such a radical act, like to really genuinely like love who we are. It, it disrupts, it confuses white supremacy and, and, and whiteness. Um, whew, but I'm going to get on a whole tangent. Say, I mean, huh? I was just thinking when you talked about knowing who we are and reflecting about the importance of honoring our ancestors. I mean, mine, they were Christian, you know, because that's what they were taught, what they know. Yeah, and then going back to the source, the origin of Ghana and Togo, my mother's side. And one of the things that the Abasum, A-B-A-S-O-M, our spiritual deities have said to us, is that the power and honoring our ancestors, honoring our traditions, because that's where our power lies. And that's not just for people of African descent, that's every culture mm. and that mm. source of power of acknowledging and honoring our ancestors. And I was thinking about Iraq and like, I don't know what ancestral work they're doing, but that country, I mean, as soon as the U.S. left, you know, right? So they are doing something to acknowledge and honor their ancestors, their traditions, and just looking at that power right there, mm. that power, that says mm. a lot. Mm. So let's not mm. <laughs> dismiss our culture is what I'm saying. That's the, our power. Ashe, Ashe, Ashe. And I have no substantive evidence, you know, this is just an observation. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, From a spiritual right. perspective. Ashe. And, 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 this sessioning, right? This knowledge making, this quote, right? It, it, it's, it's, we speak from lived experience and we can only speak to what we are seeing as it's reflected, as it's reflected all around us. You know, by design, the erasure, we see it in our educational institutions. I didn't learn about what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that massacre, massacred Black Wall Street, 300 people just, killed by white, white savage, savagery. <laughs> I didn't learn about that until grad school. And I didn't even learn about that in a class. I learned about it just offhand with other conversations with students. 
why is it that we don't learn these things, right? The histories, the herstories, right? We know, we know these, but it's never, I think it's a timeless question to ask, even if we think we might know it, to be reminded. There's so much that we don't know, says Audrey Lord. You don't know what you don't know. And so if our spiritual and our cultural identities are ways into accessing our, our power of selfhood, personhood, knowing who we are amid like, racialized capitalism that says, I'm gonna make sure, like capitalism is operating off the deficit mindset always. I need to make sure that you feel like you need to buy more of this, get more of this, do more of this, and you will be better. You'll be enough somehow. And it never, <laughs> you know, we know that's a, it's a trap. It's not true. It's a false, it's, it's a false reality. But yet we see so much of that internalized oppression come up and show up and so, the most radical thing we can do is love on ourselves, is reclaim our, our identities and our culture and learn more about it and, and make time and make time for what our spirit is asking for. And why it was intentionally us being disconnected from our culture, from our history, it's intentional to disconnect us from our power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who benefits? Who benefits from us being disempowered? Mm-hmm. And we know that whiteness has historically. I'm reading a book by, it's called Four Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts. Oh. It's by Prisco Rodriguez. It came out this year. And she talks about her journey moving through a predominantly white institution like Vanderbilt Divinity School and the gatekeepers and the voluntourism and the myth of meritocracy and the colorism and all the, you know, and I'm gonna share it with you because I feel like you may appreciate it. <laughs> um, but I feel like some of what she talks about is in such so much conversation with this, what we're saying in terms of the erasure, like who benefits from erasing us from our power, disconnecting us to it. So what's one thing that, and I can't believe how has it already been an hour almost? Oh, wow. It's 555. <laughs> Just getting started. <laughs> um, <laughs> as we wrap up, well, in the Ghanaian tradition, in the, in, in the Akong tradition, you mentioned that the new year was actually in October. Like it, mm-hmm. it came at the end of October. So as you celebrate a new year, being in that new year, I'm curious, what are two, what are some things, what's one or two things that you are calling in for yourself? Um, what's one thing you let go of in the last year? And, and what are you bringing in for this year? I wanted to, as, as stuff is coming to me, I have to, I want to acknowledge as well as, yeah. I can't, I'll start coughing because that's how spirit works. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> my throat chakra will close up. So excuse me, mapacho, that means excuse me, or I beg you, please. Um, I wanted to just for a second, just really talk about when I said our power, one of the things that the Apasum has shared with me and my spiritual journey is that God speaks to us in a language in which we can understand. I hear God through the Yacom tradition. Others can hear God through Ifa, through Buddhism, Christianity. It's all God. It doesn't matter. It's all God. Mm-hmm. The point is that I hear God loud and true through that lens, through that voice of the Yacom tradition. And that's what I mean when I talk about our power in Yami, God, our mm-hmm. source, and that the, that connection directly to it, not, you know, winding around corners, circumventing it. No, plugging directly into the source. That's mm-hmm. what I mean by our power. God mm-hmm. is, I feel, I see, I hear, I breathe, I am. Made in the image and likeness of Inyami, I am. I am that I am that I am. So. Yahweh. Wow. I'm going to sit right there. And we can we can just let that sit for a minute and let that soak in. Because I'm feeling that in my, in my stomach. I'm feeling it in my chest. I'm brought to my time in Salvador, Bahia, Brazil where my language with God felt like it was a lot more connected when I was embodied. Somehow I'm talking like God and I, we're here. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't look like me writing in my journal as it once did. And 
one isn't better than the other or more valuable. It's just acknowledging that our relationship can dip and can expand and can widen and, and I'm not separate from it. <laughs> so, I'm, and it's interesting because I remember being at Quilombo Tenonde with one of the Capoeira Mestres, Capoeira Angola Mestres. And we did a, um, a circle, a ceremony where he took us through um, the, what the, the people in Angola, in Golu tradition, what they do and what they, mm -hmm. what they believe about the Kalunga. The Kalunga is the circle, you know, the circle of life and the belief mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe you're familiar with the Kalunga. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, the icon, I mean, African concept of life is cyclical. It's not linear. So, yes. That's it. It was, it's cyclical and circular, right? Non-linear, as you said. And so as he was explaining that, it made so much sense to me. I was like, oh, yes. Yes. Like, oh, something somewhere felt like it was in knowing of this, um, though it had never been translated or transmitted in the way that, that he was sharing it. And, um, and he, in, in this exercise, he had us go through the four, the four phases. So there was the, the mar, the ocean that separated like the afterlife or the underworld from the, like, the live world. So when you're in your mother's um, womb, you're sort of in this first phase. You're mm -hmm. kind of preparing from down here to come up. To, and once you, once you, you, know, you, are, you are birthed, you're, you come to the world, now you're in the second phase because you're above the water. So you're like in the, the live world. So you're, you know, you're in your stage, you're developing, you're growing, you're connected to your community, you're learning who you are, your character is being shaped. And once you're here, there's a name for it, I'm forgetting. But this, this is thought to be sort of like your prime, um, like your, the pinnacle, how, how connected you are to this line, to the ancestors down here, how connected you are to those under here determines how, how large of an, uh, of an impact, how large your community impact will be? Are you, are you just connecting to your community on the, 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 the local level, the state level? Now, how large is your impact? How connected you are to your ancestors down here? And then he describes, right? I'm seeing you nod your head. It's like, whoo, you know, he describes, okay. And then, and then once you, after you have connected, then you begin to descend and you begin, now you begin to have disciples or, and that's for lack of a better term, you, be, you begin to pass on the teachings that you knew in this live world onto the next generation. You're passing it on, passing it on because you're preparing to go back into the ancestral world, the underworld, you're, you're preparing to end your earthly time here. And then you come back around and you know, and then it comes again, right? And so as he was explaining and describing that he had us walk around the circle, like we got to do whatever we wanted to do as drums were playing, as long as we're maneuvering and moving around the circle. And afterwards he asked us, what was that like for you all? And I said, you know, my body, I, I noticed that I couldn't help but move to the rhythm of the drums. And that felt most, uh, not, that felt most natural to me, authentic. And I, as I was saying it, I started moving and he like, he laughed <laughs> and he said, you know, it's believed that some, some people speak to their ancestors most fluently through their bodies. So Corpue, like that's what guides you, you know? And, and that's what, what you just shared brought me to. Because I remember prior to that trip, you know, I decided to be baptized. No one in my family really, my immediate family required that, was really religious. But I just <laughs> knew, I felt a connection to God through the Christian lens and text. And then in college, you know, continued, but also I started opening up to the Capoeira world. And this discovered a whole, this uncovered a whole new lens. And I'm like, wait, there's some things that I, that the Christian lens can't, language can't hold or doesn't address for me. Or people aren't asking these questions, but I still feel close and connected to God here. There's something going on here, you know? And so being able to then surrender to the idea and the truth that God's God is a loving God, an inclusive God, a God, a God who loves all of humanity, no matter yes. what color, creed, race, religion. God is, God is, as you said, <laughs> the great I am, you know. Uh, in different languages, we might access the same source. That's energy. right. And so I just wanted to, to share that because that's what, what you just shared brought me to was there is no difference from that feeling that I had there to, to when I'm in a capoeira holder and people are playing, sweating, clapping, singing to when I'm in church, um, praising God. I'm like, oh, here we are. 
Hello. <laughs> you know, and this that. is the key that mm -hmm. we talk about levels of access earlier, I said that levels of obedience. So with that discipline, with obedience and God seeing that you are trustworthy, I mean, to hold this sacred information, then your level of access to God deepens because there are levels of, you know, access to God, you know, and it's powerful because not everyone can hold all of that energy. It's powerful. When you feel pure spirit, it's powerful. I don't know if the word's powerful or even significant. So that, I mean, that's, I'm just reaffirming everything that you're saying. I, I'm like, I gotta get up and dance. We gotta stop because I'm feeling it all in my hands. <laughs> like, you know, we can't just sit down with it. It's like, whoa, <laughs> truthfully, truthfully, truthfully. So, whew. I mean, I mean, on that note, on that note, we will, we will riggedy riggedy wrap wrap. But really, this is not <laughs> wrapping. It's a continuation. The conversation continues and. The recording stops and and inshallah whoever is listening to this um may it may it arrive to your heart and your spirit at a time where you most need um i would love to pray us out and just thank you so much nana kosua for your time with us today for sharing your sacred knowledge your wisdom your life experience with such vulnerability with such transparency and authenticity. We thank you for the God who continues to write your story, to give you access to multiple knowledges and wisdoms, the ability to translate what you're learning onto the people here in the United States, over in Ghana, and to many other corners of the world that, that God, that the creator, the Imago Day shall bring you. We pray over your son. You will continue to foster that sensitive, tender spirit, that attentive spirit, connected and close to the creator. We thank you for giving of yourself and your time such that we may be all the better for it. We pray as you, as you leave, as we leave the conversation, you would feel held, comforted, and nurtured, affirmed in the truth and the light of goodness that is all that is to Jesus, Osorishas, the mighty name, we pray, we say, amen. And so it is. <laughs> so it is. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, stay lifted and stay blessed. I'm not the mistakes that I have made Or any of the things that cause me pain I am not the pieces of the dream I love